You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey, guys, good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. My name's Ryan. For those of you guys that are new, and uh, Hannes and Leah are my neighbors. And, you know, Hannes has got a full-time job, moved here to Phoenix, he and his wife from Germany. And they're just finding their place to serve. And so um, Pastor Ian's been in Dallas, and now he didn't have to prep this week. And so he and the Thompson crew are worshiping just like you here. So let's give Hannes and Leah a round of applause. Hey, we're in a new teaching series called Empowered. I want to talk to you about that. Um, But as we get going, the name of the message this morning is God's Promise Spirit and My Place of Service. Um, I have not always felt comfortable to be a part of church. Some of you are here today, and you're still, it's kind of uncomfortable, but you like the seats, right? You like (laughs) these movie seats. Um, and somebody invited you, somebody, 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 somebody invited you, and we're here because Jesus does work in the lives of people. And, and, and all around the world this morning, there's churches that are worshiping Jesus. And I just want to slow down for a moment and just tell you a story real quick about my first exposure to trying to find my place in church. It started at a very young age. I felt like I didn't fit in. I really didn't. When I was just a little kid, just a little, little kid, barely could talk, it's like church day, and they're doing spiritual gifts, and you're talking about where everybody is going to be in the church one day, and how God's going to use them out in the world, and how God's going to use them in the church, and it's a little circle, and our Sunday school teacher is teaching, and it goes around the circle, and it starts off with little Billy, and we're probably talking like five, six years old, right? So in the very beginning, my spiritual formation, mom and dad would bring me to church from time to time, drop me off, and immediately somehow there was alarms going off in my head saying, you don't fit in. So I'm like, oh gosh, I go to church, I go to the little Sunday school. Billy, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. Okay, yeah, that's great. All the kids are like, yeah, a fireman. What do you want to be when you grow up, Sarah? I want to be a nurse. What about you, Jennifer? I want to be a doctor. What about you, Tommy? I want to be a project manager. (laughs) It's getting more sophisticated, right? What do you want to be, you know, Ted? I want to be a banker. What do you want to be, Ryan? I want to be a snake. (laughs) Everybody's like, a snake? And the teacher goes, oh, you want to work at the zoo where you take care of snakes? No, I want to be a snake. <laughs> like the one in the Bible. And they're like, oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> okay, oh. okay, crackers, juice. <laughs> That's my experience. You know, the question comes, he's like, are you like that little kid? You feel like you don't fit in. 
Somehow it just doesn't add up. What is the church? What is it about? Are these people real? Is it just following mom and dad? Do they just do what they do? I'm going to testify to you today. It's because of the spirit of God works in the lives of people. It changes their hearts, their attitudes, their minds, their feelings, their emotions, their hopes, their desires, and something changes. And that's where the worship comes from. And so then there came a place in time, you know, 18 years, I went through the church in and out. Some of you know my story, the prodigal son story, kid ran away, had everything right with mom and dad, just run, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was my mantra all the way through high school. And then I figured I want to make myself academic and be somebody one day. So I, I kill it in high school. I do really good in education. And getting all the teachers, what in the world happened to you? I'm like, I don't know. I just figured I don't want to be a loser in life, so I'm going to try to graduate. And my dad told me I'm going to just bomb. I don't get church life, so I'm going to try school life. And then the Spirit of God ministered to me in a powerful way the summer of my senior year and changed everything. I met Christ in person through the work of the Holy Spirit outside in the mountains, and I found the place service in God's kingdom. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about that. I'm going to share with you first about how that's happening here at North Valley. That's happening. We're going to show a video, uh, this LA trip. We have mission trips that took off and take off uh, throughout the summer. And so if you are participating, you at North Valley, uh, in missions this summer, stand up right now. Go ahead and stand up in the service. Come on. Here we go. And go ahead. We can give them a round of applause. So here's the deal. I want you guys to come forward. Check out this video. This was an L.A. mission trip that just happened. You guys come forward, those of you that are serving in missions this summer, Dominican Republic, Los Angeles. Here's the deal. While this is going, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. These guys stand up right here. This is Los Angeles that you're watching. We sent uh, a team of people to go to L.A., and they were going to go and do a VBS, a vacation Bible school for little kids. And in the heart of where they're supposed to go, there's a protest. The Black Lives Matter protest. And our team just says, scratch all things. The Spirit of God's doing something different here. We're going to minister God's peace, God's grace, because everybody's made in the image of God. And we're going to care for whoever God brings our way. And this team last week was in Los Angeles in the midst of a crazy environment. And they got to minister the grace of God just by simply handing out water bottles, encouraging a church that we helped start in Crenshaw in L.A. And it's you guys that are going to be the light into the community. It's our church raising up and moving forward by the Spirit of God and ministering in great ways. And so we do missions at North Valley locally. We do missions globally. And so last week, we sent a team to L.A., and then this coming week, we're sending a team to the Dominican Republic. Can we celebrate that? All right. Well, let me, let me show you a picture of the guys over here in the DR, and, um, and I'm going to pray for our team here. Um, this morning, we have a team that's going out to the Dominican Republic. Uh, we want to commission them in prayer and thank God for, for them taking the step of faith to say, I will go. 
And Lord willing, at North Valley, this is like just the beginning. Like this will be a mission-sending church where just people take a brave step of faith and move forward and say, I'll go out and I'll share and I'll show the love of Christ wherever to the ends of the earth. And so this morning, I just want to take a moment and thank God for the mission team that went out to LA and then ask you to join me in prayer and let's pray uh, for those that are going to the Dominican Republic to minister to orphan children to share and show the love of Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this missions team. I thank you for raising up men and women that have a heart like yours to share and show the love of Christ. And they're empowered by the Spirit of God enough to awaken them to a conviction to say, I will go. People matter. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in your sight, God. And I'm going to move forward in faith, empowered by your Spirit to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for Dominican Republic. Thank you for the conversations and the experiences that are going to happen, Lord. Thank you for the work that you're already doing in L.A. and that little church called Epiphany L.A. Thank you for our team that went forward. And in the midst of a VBS, Lord, they find themselves in a protest and they minister the grace of God. Lord, thank you for that church. We pray for that church, Epiphany L.A. Lord, help them to be peacekeepers and peacemakers, God, in the midst of of the troubling times, we pray in the name of Christ, in the power of Christ, and for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Let's celebrate them one more time. Thanks, guys. You guys can be seated. Thank you for joining us and serving across the world. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're in Acts chapter 2, and this is the message today is God's promised spirit and my place of service. So let's go ahead and stand together for the reading of God's word. We stand just to kind of break up the monotony of saying, we're not here just to play church. We're here to hear from God. We're here to hear his word. And it matters tremendously. Here it is. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Last week, uh, Pastor Andy, new to our team, and he preached about filling the gaps. And this morning, we hear God's fulfilled promise that his power and spirit was going to show up. Jesus has already been crucified, buried, and he's risen again, and he has ascended into heaven, and he promised that he was going to send his spirit and it was going to birth the church. So this morning, we're going to see the very beginning of the local church. We're going to see the very beginning of the spirit of God working with the people of God to move forward for the great and mighty works of God. And so here's what we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in in his own native language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygeria and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, 
both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking them and saying, they're filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, work now through your word. This is your church. These are your people. We pray, God, for the spirit of God to encourage and empower, Lord. Dispel disbelief. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to do your work as in the beginning, continue to work to advance your kingdom for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Five lessons for living a life empowered by the Spirit of God and for the glory of God's service. That's what we're going to get after today. Number one, I want you to know that God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. He's somebody that you can trust and I can trust. I found this to be true in every stage and season of my life. When I walked away from a crowd that didn't love God and didn't love the church, God's word promised me that he was going to be there and he was going to be with me. And I was going to make this transition from a life of party and irreligion to a life with God of living, following Christ, and he was going to be my all in all. And oh my goodness, were there dark seasons of the soul even after becoming a Christian. But God was always there. God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. We're going to learn about that today. You know, in your marriage, you apply God's word to your life. We just got done with a marriage conference, and we're seeing couples be restored by the grace of God and for the glory of God, not because of something they figure out, but it's because of God's work in their life. And what we find out and what we experience is that as we live by God's promise and God's plan, we find God's blessing. Amen? And in singlehood, you learn that. You learn the world acts different, but God's promise and God's plan is different, and we're to live counterintuitive to the world's standards. Some of you have walked through loss, and you've figured out and you've found the joy of going, you know, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of loss of loved ones or things that are going on and people that you love, they're gone. You find Christ to be present. In health, our health fails you can still find Christ to be present. He's a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. You know, the Bible is filled with promises. The Bible, I'm coming to a greater confidence and a a ferocity to preach this word because I'm getting more and more elevated in my confidence of it. And Phoenix ranks number 98 of the least Bible-minded cities in the country. So by God's grace, we're going to host a Bible conference to convince more and more of you this is worth believing in. If you walked into one of the greatest libraries of the day and you said, show me a book about prophecies, they're going to give you a handful of books. Go to the greatest libraries in the world. I want prophecies. Show me the books about prophecies. They give you a stack. You'd sit down and you'd start reading them. Then you go back up to the clerk and you say, hey, librarian, is there a book here that actually these prophecies come true? And they would slide one book over and that would be the Bible. What we see this morning is that God's work, Jesus is a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. See, Jesus had promised the disciples that the Spirit of God would come down on them in supernatural way to empower them to be the church, to establish the church. And he said, go to Jerusalem. He said, go there and I promise you 
I'm going to show up. I will authenticate everything I've talked about in a unique, supernatural way. And so it says, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived. See, Pentecost was historically this prominent festival in Jewish history that celebrated the giving of the law to Moses to establish God's law, the Ten Commandments. And Jews in this time used that day to commemorate, to remember, this is God working on our behalf to establish his way, his rule, his reign throughout all the earth. And that was the day that Jesus chooses to inaugurate the church. It's the birthday of the church. It's the grand opening. We had our grand opening September 23rd, 2012. We're going to be coming up on four years this September. This is a divinely empowered, loved, and prized enterprise God calls the church. He is intimately involved. He's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. He loves the church. This prophecy was about God's spirit coming down. Is a long-awaited prophecy out of Joel and out of Isaiah. And Jesus himself promised that he was going to send his spirit in John 14. And in Acts 1, he said, I'm going to show up. I'm going to give you the spirit of God. It says they were all together in one place, all together, literally 120 disciples or so. They were crammed together. This one place likely would have been a big, big house in Jerusalem, which we'll find out more about that in a moment. Here's the second thing you need to know is one of the greatest lessons. If you're going to live a life that's empowered by the Spirit of God for God's service, you need to know this, and I can testify this, that God is personally involved in my daily life through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the most active person in the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know what's going on here, E. What's going on, bud? We're gonna, Ian's going to check me out. You guys don't look under my shirt, okay? Uh, there's Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This, the Holy Spirit is the most actively involved in your daily life. God is the person who's involved in my daily life. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Here we go. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. This wind was a sign and a symbol of God's presence and his power upon his people. It was so loud. I don't know if you've ever heard a tornado before, but I come from the South in Arkansas, Texas. You always hear about tornadoes. This sound, commentators and scholars have agreed, it was so loud that it shook the house, that it was this awakening that the whole city kind of became alive and people heard, what in the world was that? The rushing wind, this mighty rushing wind. It says, and it filled the entire house. That word house is oikos in the Greek. And it means literally a gathering. And you think, how in the world could you have a house with 120 people? Historians, scholars, archaeologists have verified that they're in the Jewish quarters of Jerusalem, date all the way back to the first century. They found huge mansions dedicated that were dedicated to the early church. 
Many of you guys have opened up your house, and it's a place of not only place for your family to live and do life, but it's a place for the people in the church to be there. See, God is personally involved. It says that the entire house, God chose a house. God is personal. Like he didn't choose the the temple. He chose the house. He didn't choose the Taj Mahal. He chose the house. He chooses the home. Look what else he does. Verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on them, each one of them. See, fire in biblical times was a supernatural sign of God's power and his presence. When he led the Israelites out of Egypt, it was a pillar of fire blowing through the desert, and God leads in a supernatural way. These people, a nation who have been enslaved, are going to be led out of Egypt, and they're going to follow this pillar of fire. It was a corporate sign and a symbol for an entire nation. Fire. Here, God does something so far more personal. Look what it says in the text. It says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. See, God is personally involved in your life and in my life. He doesn't work just as this corporate entity In the New Testament, we see a new covenant that God says, I'm going to work not just with the the Israelites, but with you. I want you to know individually, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to show up in your life. I'm going to be in your life in supernatural ways that you can't explain. And this morning, we see in the early church, number three, that God empowers us for extraordinary kinds of ministry and mission opportunities, both locally and globally as I go and I share and show the love of Christ. That's exactly what was going on. These are disciples that have followed Jesus and they've got a mission to follow and Jesus is gonna show up and empower them in a supernatural way to go and share the love of Christ in extraordinary ways. When you read the text and you hear about this mighty rushing wind and you hear these tongues of fire, that ought to be weird to you, right? That ought to be like a little alarming. But let me ask you something. Should God fit in your box of logic? Or is he beyond logic? See, God is not created or made. He, the Bible says that he always was. He describes himself as I am who I am, eternally existing. You and I don't have a category to fully understand God. See, that's the problem with unbelief. Be careful. You can stay there a long time. I get it. I've been there, studied world religions, exhausted myself to try to find the one that would verify itself to be the most logical. I would argue that Christianity does stand apart from all other religions, and it seems to be the most logical. But hear me, a life of faith is still a life of faith, right? There's always this element where you say, and I'm going to tell you, that's completely fine in your experience at North Valley, I'll tell you. You can say, I don't understand. How can that be? And here's what I will echo to you. I'll say, hey, let's walk through this. Let's look at Scripture. Let's grow in our confidence. And that's the problem. There's not enough preachers today that have enough confidence and authority in the Scripture, so they don't stand up here. And whale, they stand up here and they hide. 
oh God, is this really true? But see, you and me, we're different. We've experienced the power of Christ. We've seen his promises come true. And we've walked in a different steadiness of confidence because the Holy Spirit we've invited across in our lives and say, God, lead us. Empower us for works of service. And we see he shows up in extraordinary ways. That's exactly what happened in the early church. Verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's all say filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's try that again. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a special endowment to kickstart the local church. Filled in the Holy Spirit is something that every single believer needs to accomplish this work. And even in the New Testament, on and on again, it talks about this continual filling of the Holy Spirit that as you go out and you go into ministry or you go into a missions, it's a good idea that you ask as a believer, God, would you fill me up with a greater sense of your presence, with a greater sense of your power for this ministry, for this mission? And so that's what we pray for, even on Sunday morning. Every Sunday we pray. It's part of our corporate gathering and rhythm as we say, pray for the leaders, pray for the teachers, pray for the worship guys, pray for the, uh, the North Valley kids, pray for the pastors, pray for the congregation, pray for those that are attending and visiting, pray for that God, your spirit and your power would be at work here this morning. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and ministry. Here at North Valley, we have ministry. That's ministry within the local church. And every believer is a ministry. These are, every believer is a minister. These believers, there's 120 of them. They're already believers, but they're being filled up to extraordinary levels of ministry and service and missions so that they can share and show the love of Christ to the world around them. In ministry here at North Valley, we have North Valley kids, we have guest services, we have neighborhood groups, we have people that open up their homes and say, I'll be a host home, and we're going to need a lot more of those. I'm going to tell you about that in the coming weeks. We have people that say, I'll lead, I'll teach, and it's you who gets the privileged opportunity to say to God, I need you to fill me up, I don't feel adequate to do this. I need you to work in an extraordinary way to empower me. To share and show the love of Christ today. That's the kind of thing God says, amen, I'm, I'm doing that. He loves his church. For missions, those of you that are going uh, to the Dominican Republic, God's promised that he's, got, he's already prepared a ministry for you over there. You simply step into it. You simply catch the wave of what God is working out in this ocean of his world, and you catch that thing, and you ride in on that. You pray, God, fill me up. Give me the confidence. Give me the courage. And he says, I'll supernaturally, I will work extraordinary ways in your life to accomplish my purposes. See, you won't trigger the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit until you go. There is no need for some extra endowment of filling of courage or confidence for Christ and the power of Christ if you play it safe. It's only until you go that you're willing to go that it unleashes this beautiful power and work of Christ in your life. So it's the only in the going that you're going to experience God's presence and power. And so what is wrong with so 
many believers is they never feel the freedom. They never see the joy. They never feel the rush of going, I'm going with God. Does it make sense? No, not fully, but I'm going. Well, you're crazy. Yeah, good. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm crazy. Let's go. You're going to see that in the lives of these disciples. Look what it says. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. They were speaking supernaturally, cross-culturally. There was a lot of people there from all tribes and nations. And they're speaking a language like they don't even know. God supernaturally shows up. Verse 5, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews devout from men of every nation under heaven. Every nation, that means that there's, in essence, there were Jews that had scattered out because of persecution all throughout the Roman Empire. Then they have gathered back for Pentecost, this memorial, this festival to celebrate uh, God's giving of the law and Many of them already know, hey, this guy named Jesus, the Messiah, promised that his spirit was going to show up in a powerful way. And look what it says. Verse 6, and at this sound, the multitude came together. Let's all say that together. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Uh, There is records from Josephus, a Jewish historian, not a believer in Jesus, did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. He records that at these festivals, there would be upwards to 3 million people in Jerusalem during the first century. There was this multitude coming together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Like all of a sudden, these people, look what it says, we'll continue on, verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, the multitude, the big crowds of people that started to gather, probably outside this mansion, this Jerusalem mansion, 120 believers are inside, the Spirit of God showing up, like a tornado, fire coming down, freak me out, right? That would freak me out, that would be the crazy, like, haunted house, Okay? When I was a kid, we like would do these, we would go to all the haunted houses, and man, I got I got scared several times. I've been to some churches before, by the way, where I walked in the door and all of a sudden I got afraid. I was afraid. I didn't know what was going on. It just seemed different. Well, these guys are afraid, and you know, um, a couple things draws a big crowd is 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 fear. People are afraid they can just gather or they scatter. It's a spectacle. It's a unique spectacle. And they were amazed and astonished and saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, these were like country bumpkins. They didn't have a great education. There's no way they had international business skills to speak foreign languages. And he says to them, are these not all Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us his own native language? God was empowering them to speak a language so that the entire, everybody hearing that day, they would hear a mighty work of God in their own language, and then they would break forth and go back and penetrate to the ends of the earth to share and show the love of Christ. God is not bound to language. He can supernaturally work in any kind of way. Let me tell you one quick story about my experience with a strongly charismatic church. And charismatic, I mean by that is that it's, and, and there's all sorts of character stereotypes, but charismatic in the sense of believing in 
God uses miracles. God gives the gift of tongues still today. I was a part of this charismatic church for a short season in time. And I was proud to be. These people loved Jesus. Um, but they prayed for big miracles all the time. I wasn't used to that. And they talked about how some people could speak in tongues. And I was kind of like weirded out by that. I'm like a Bible church guy, right? I just love the Bible. I preach. You know, I'm growing in my faith. I'm a college student. Uh, down in Waco, Texas for a short period of time. And there's this party that's going to happen. And they called it a Holy Spirit party. And I'm like, that is so weird. I ain't calling it a Holy Spirit party. Um, but at least they weren't out doing drugs. At least they weren't out getting high. At least they weren't sleeping around, hanging out at the frat houses and the sororities and just doing what everybody else was doing. And I said, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to pray. What else are we going to do? We're going to hang out and talk, okay? Is there going to be coffee? <laughs> like something? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be coffee. We're going to have a good time. And then we're going uh, to pray for the mission trips that are headed out. We're going to pray for God to show up in a real unique way. And I thought, I, I'll go to that. So I go, and I had this friend with me. His name was Amir, and Amir is, uh, was formerly a Muslim. And uh, he was an international student, and Amir was a strong, I would say, probably in the radical side of Muslim and Islam. And he started hearing about Jesus. And I said, you want to go with me to this Holy Spirit party? So, wow, share, what is the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, well, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Jesus promised, you know, go in, explain. He's the, he, he's the one that works. He's the counselor. He's the helper. He's the convictor. He's the one that moves the conscience, moves the mind, counsels us, gives us a, a moral guidance to live by and walk by and shows us things sometimes that we don't understand and we can't explain. He says, yeah, that sounds good. So we go. We're worshiping. We're praying. And I'm, I'm cautious. I'm like a charismatic with a tight seatbelt on. Like, I'm like, I'm not sure about this. So we pray and we're praying and praying. All of a sudden, this white, little, skinny, scrawny, upper-class Texas kid stands up, and he just starts shouting off in tongues. And I'm like, look, I've been a part of a Bible church before. They told me, if there's not an interpreter here, that's bad. So I'm sitting there, Lord, I'm very uncomfortable. This kid's going off. I think he's acting like a fool. So, God, this is weird. And I'm getting tired of this. I want out of here. This doesn't seem biblical. What's going on here, God? God, but if you're doing something, just do it now to confirm this is not bad and this is good. Help me. This kid just keeps going on and going on and on and on. And he's speaking some weird language I'd never heard. And Amir stands up and he cries and he goes, how do you know that language? And everybody gets really silent. And the room gets really quiet. And Amir says, that's amazing. You're speaking in this tiny little dialect that's only, it's so small. How, how would you know that? And the kid goes, in English, he goes, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just speaking. And then boom, he keeps going on. And Amir says, I'll translate. And he goes, Christ is powerful. Christ is above all nations. Christ has mercy for everybody. Christ, and he starts going on and on and on about the glories of Christ, the power of Christ, the joy of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody walked out of there. Dude, I felt like an earthquake hit. I'm like, whoa. 
And then after a time of prayer, we walked out of there, and I just said, I've never seen anything like this. God, what are you doing? Amir goes back with me to Little Rock. His testimony gets put on the radio, and he has a national influence in a ministry, and thousands of Muslims come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that little white preppy kid <laughs> was bold enough to say, God, use me. So then mission trips started forming and going out into remote parts of the Middle East. And Amir became a minister of the gospel at a church called Mosaic Church, whom I, the church I love. And God has worked incredible miracles in the life of his family, his family. His family first, when he became a Christian, they had a funeral for him and said, you're dead to us. They came to faith in Christ. His brother and sister came to faith in Christ. They all came to faith in Christ. And it started with this mighty moment. And so we asked the question here at North Valley, does God work miracles today? He does. You can't, you can't say he doesn't. Why did he show up like this? And why doesn't he show up like that all the time, right? That's the question. I would say this, because I think God kick-started his church in a powerful way. I mean, if you're going to kick-start an enterprise that's going to reach every continent in the world, it's gonna, it better show up with incredible momentum. You need a lot of horsepower to pour into that thing to blow forward to every continent. And that's exactly what happened there at the beginning in the day of Pentecost. Here's the fourth truth that I want you to realize and remember if we're going to live a life that is by God's spirit, for God's service, I found this to be true for me, that God is preparing a place for me to serve within key communities of people, both locally and globally, for the glory of Christ and the good of others. See, before I ever got to Phoenix, God was already working with you guys. I sit with you and I have dinner with you and I hear your stories and you tell me the years and the dates and the times, and I just wonder, because those were seasons of prayer for us, if the Spirit of God was already working ahead of time in your life to prepare you for this church, for this day, and for this time. And what I've seen to be true in Scripture and in my own life is that God actually has a people group. God actually has a neighbor. God actually has a coworker that he sovereignly placed you by, which you're supposed to serve. And until you get that, you'll miss that. See, God was preparing his global work for service within key communities throughout the world. Why did he show up and give and enable people to speak in foreign languages? Because he was already working throughout parts of the Middle East Iran, Turkey, Arabia, Rome, Mediterranean culture, all across the globe, God was already preparing, giving these guys an incredible experience, an incredible supernatural event to empower them to say, that was crazy. I heard this guy, this Galilean, this preppy little white kid, speaking a language he had no business speaking. And in fact, not just one language, everybody in the room heard all sorts of languages. Here's what it says. Verse 9. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea, 
in Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and to visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We, they said, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. What were the mighty works of God? This is the work of Christ. The greatest work God's ever done on the earth is Christ, His Son, sacrificed on the cross, promised and prophesied by prophets thousands of years before His time, all the details of His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection. These guys have been proclaimed the mighty works of Christ. Why? Because they were to go forth into key communities around the world to testify about the mighty works of Christ. See, God strategically placed you and positioned you to be in a place of influence. You have influence. You have co-workers. You have family members. You have friends. And what are you to do? You're simply supposed to be a witness. Well, you say, what's a witness? A witness is somebody who just testifies and says, this is what I've seen God do. Let's say that together. This is what I've seen God do. That's why the Spirit of God promised by Jesus poured out in power and proclaimed a tongue that communicated multiple languages, empowering them to go forward back to their hometown, back to the place where they came from, because this was a special gathering to share about, this is what we've seen God do. These are the mighty works. And so with you, let me tell you, God's placed you in a key community. Your neighbors are a key community. The North Valley is a key community. Dominican Republic is a key community that God's already prepared for a mission team to go forward and to share and show the love of Christ. Some little kid's over there right now, and they got a massive heart problem. They don't understand God. They're angry at God because their dad left them. And our guys are going to show up, and they'll speak a word of encouragement. They'll speak a word of hope. And that little kid's life will be transformed and turned, not because something we said that was clever, but because God was preparing a key community. In every community, there's a person of peace. There's a person that will help you accomplish the ministry that God's placed you in. Jesus had people of peace that he always looked for. Every city he showed up, every community he was with, he found somebody that would help them navigate through. As a young believer, I came a Christian, and to me, I just felt like I've always been a people person, okay? Leslie's gone to the Dominican Republic, and like, I'm going to have everybody over to my house, okay? And so you'll get an email, just show up. It'll be awesome. And uh, as a young believer, I always knew my neighbors. I'll tell you a story real quick about one of my neighbors. Little Rock, Arkansas, just got married, had twins, was finishing up business school. It's taking quantitative methods. That's enough to give you a heart attack. Taking quantitative methods, and I just felt like God wanted me to reach out to my neighbor and share and hang out with him. So, you know, he wants to grill and watch the game. You know, there's beer, there's steaks and hot dogs. We're just hanging out, talking. And to me, I don't care. I don't care what's going on. I'm comfortable with the people that are furthest from God. Sometimes I'm more comfortable with those people. 
And you're like, yeah, that's me, man. Like, good, I'm glad you're here. So my, my friend Asa, smoking dope all the time, getting drunk. His wife's a Mormon, hates church. Through a process of about two years of grilling and chilling, <laughs> grilling and chilling, I show up at church one day, the dude gets baptized. He is baptizing. He says, I'm a born-again Christian. God's used my neighbors to help me know Jesus. I'm like, that's my neighbor. That's my neighbor. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Asa and Rena, they've supported us financially as we came out to Phoenix. Every time I go back to Little Rock, I try to make a little circuit. Don't always make it. Go back to the neighborhood and see how God's been working in Floyd's life, Barbara's life, Asa's life. Some of them are dead and gone. Some of them are still there. God's placed you in a key community. And let me tell you something. You are so important to God. He loves you so much. He wants to use you in incredible ways. He wants you to be the hope that heals the family. He wants you to be the hope that helps the neighbor. And he's already preparing this. He's already doing this. And the question is, would you just step out in faith and go because you won't get filled up unless you go. It's like a car. Like, why do you need to put gas in it if you're not going to go anywhere? Like, you got a cool car? Awesome. Put some premium fuel in it. Let it sit in the garage for five years. No good. Put rocket fuel in there if you want. Doesn't get you anywhere. If you don't start the car and start going. When God says, I want to fill you up, I want to freshen your life up, I want to empower you for great things, but you got to go. Because I'm already working. And if you don't choose to, I'm going to use somebody else, but you get the joyride. You, you get the privilege. Man, that was my best Sunday of the year, watching a Asa stand up. I'm like, how many conversations did we have just grilling and chilling? And I see his whole marriage turn around. The guy was in deep depression. He was confused. And today, man, I write and I hear stories of joy, of peace, and satisfaction. And Rena ended up winning all her other Mormon friends to Christ. God's preparing a place for you and for me in key communities. Number five, last point, and I'll get out of here. Number five, God doesn't expect everyone's going to understand. So please don't act like everybody should understand. He's not, not every, God doesn't expect everybody to understand when somebody gets lit up and is loving Jesus. God doesn't expect everybody's going to get it. God doesn't expect everyone is going to understand how his spirit is working in your life or my life. And so therefore, I need to take a little extra time to explain what I've seen him do. That's witnessing. So that others may better understand who he's like or who he is and what he's like. See, that's the problem. Don't get irritated when people say, I don't believe you. I don't understand you. I don't understand what's going on. You seem to just be happier, but I think it's just because you're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and finally getting off the bottle or doing whatever, and now you're happy. And then you're the one who's supposed to testify and say, no, Christ is better than the booze. Christ is better than the pills. Christ is better than whatever. He's filled a new place in my life. And you got to go slow. 
you can't expect everybody to understand. That's exactly what went on, verse 12. And they were all amazed and perplexed. A lot of people you talk to about your faith, they're perplexed. They don't get it. What are you talking about? You're praying and you're, you're considering God's leading you somewhere else. Don't you want to take an upward position in your company? And for some reason you say no, or just the opposite. I believe God's preparing me for a greater pathway of influence in the company. And I'm supposed to lead at this point in this time. And they say, why? And you say, I prayed about it. And they say, dude, you're crazy. And you say this, I didn't expect you to understand okay. Just let me tell you what I've seen God do in my life. There's a fresh sense of innocence and openness that comes with that. You testify to what you've seen God do. Verse 13, it says, but others were mocking. People will mock you. People will think you're crazy. And they'll say, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. They're crazy. Peter, over the next message you're going to see, he takes the time to slow down and explain everything. He's actually the first preacher who stands out among all the other disciples, and he says, let, let me help you understand what just happened. That's next week. I'm going to invite the worship team up. No, I'm not, because we're going to wrap up for time. Uh, but here's what I want to do. Hey, man, we try things different every week at North Valley. We keep you on your toes. Next step, here's what I want you to do. Next week, show up for the backstage pass with Pastor Jonathan and Meredith. Show up and see where you can find your place of service. Amen? Next week, 9.30, show up. Find your place to serve. Find your place to serve. Take a step of faith and help us to continue to go. Go into your area. Find your area of ministry. Find your area of mission. We want to help you do that. Next week, 9.30. Show up here and we'll lead you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. You're good. You're glorious. You're great. And your church is growing. And your church is thriving, Lord. And we trust you. We love you. Bless our families. Bless our lives. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.